Well, hey, good to be here today. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors on staff. For those of you here, we're delighted to see you. Those of you online and those of you who will join later in the week, we're glad you're with us. Just want to um, just welcome the Lord today, just as a continuance into the message. His presence been here thick in the worship so far. So Jesus, would you just keep pouring yourself out, your, your spirit of um, grace, your, your present presence, your spirit of conviction, your spirit of love, your spirit of power, your spirit of uh, unity, of reconciliation, of bond breaking, and of bond making. Lord, would you just do sweet things today? Would you speak through me as I share your word? I love you and we bless you. It's in your name, amen. Well, well what a great plug about coming together because a lot of times it's our differences, it's our setbacks, it's our issues that can really separate us, right? Like when we get isolated, when we're struggling, or maybe we are... Um, just meet some people and they haven't gone through the same stuff and we just assume that they couldn't know where we've been or what we've been through or just, you know, maybe a rift happens and there's just all kinds of things and I think that that's such a great picture, Sherry, of um, God just breaking in and how much better it is to do life together. And as we're in this Ephesians series, week five, we're just going line by line through the book of Ephesians and talking about what it looks like to do life together. And in the book of Ephesians is not just to um, the city of Ephesus, which was an enormous city. It'd be tantamount to maybe Chicago today in the Roman Empire, the third biggest city. So it was a hub of culture, of, of people, of the arts, of expectation, of movement. It was a happening place, but it wasn't just like if Paul wrote a letter to the vineyard Florence or to Crossroads or to Seven Hills or First Church. It was like he wrote to all those churches in this region. So this letter to the Ephesians was really about doing life together, that everyone hanging in there, staying on the vine, everyone has a seat at the table, everyone gets to play. Here's what it looks like to be the body of Jesus Christ. Him is the head, us is the unified uh, front or cadre of his body. And so what we're gonna talk about today is come together. Anyone know that great Beatles song, Come Together? Abbey Road, there's Abbey Road. Last, uh, last winter, my kids are walking across Abbey Road. You take the picture you got there, like I hope we don't die, I hope they sync it up properly. And then you're doing it and it's like that come together moment. So it's kind of like surreal being a bunch of Beatles fans getting to do that. But like, I love that album, com uh, that album cover as they're walking across the street, across Abbey Road Studios, um, kind of that iconic picture of doing it together. But unfortunately, the Beatles didn't come together really well, right? They kind of came together for that project, but then the band broke up and we know how it went from there. And it's like, sometimes we think about like there was that amazing lightning in the bottle that was known as the Beatles, right? They came, it changed everything. But like, I'm sure there's people like, man, how, what if they stayed together longer? What kind of music could they have made? What, what if they had like worked through some of their differences, some of their egos, some of their challenges and stayed together longer? What kind of impact could they have had? And we, we would all say that the Beatles are, whether you like them or not, you know who they are. We, we know that when they stepped on Ed Sullivan, it was a game changer. When they came across the, the pond and everyone lost their minds and it changed everything. Like what, what if there's something God's wanting to do in his body? Like what if we stay together more? 
What if we don't church hop? What if we don't family hop? What if we don't marriage hop? What if we don't teaching hop? What if we can stay together more? What if we could stay with the band longer? What could God do through us and what could he do to us? I'm a big superhero junkie and superhero movies like in the last, you know, 10, 15 years have been all the thing. And like the Avengers, the whole Avengers universe was like something different. There was always the comics of when like Batman and Superman, the Justice League, they'd all sync up or the Avengers. But the Avengers were the first people to really take it on in a movie form where all the superheroes came together. And Loki, who's this character who's like trying to disassemble the Avengers. And, and I love what like Tony Stark, Iron Man says. He says, yeah, like, you know, by ourselves, we're kind of a motley crew. I'll give you that. Kind of took us a while to get some traction. I'll give you that. He's like, but um, there's something happening here. And he's like, you're really not expected for it. And what you did kind of is going to come back to bite you. You tried to scatter us, but now we're gathered, so watch out. And Loki's like, I got an army. He's like, well, we got a Hulk. <laughs> and we got a god, your brother, a demigod, your brother. We have a man with, um, you know, kind of out of time, Captain America. And, you know, he's like, and a guy with breathtaking anger management issues, the Hulk. And you managed to tick off every one of us. Instead of being divided... We're coming together, watch out. Like, what if we, what if we had the same attitude? What if we could put our differences, our experiences, our skill sets, our proclivities, our enjoyments, even Steelers fans are welcome on this team. <laughs> even non-Bengals fans, like Chris has stepped off the boat and he thinks it's funny to, to poke at the Bengals fans. I'm like, bro, you might be poking the wrong bear in this town, but like, we love you still. Like rugby people are welcome. Gymnasts are welcome. You know, non-sports people are welcome. Like whatever you, like if you want Jesus, that's our defining thing. But what if we were looking at the enemy and said like, bro, you might be poking the wrong bear. You might be poking at the wrong thing because yeah, I used to get butthurt about that. I used to get defeated about that. I used to step away from that but um, we're kind of taking this come together thing real seriously. Abbey Road ain't just going to be an album cover for us. It's going to be a way of life. Not that we're walking away, but we're walking towards something. And that's what Ephesians is all about. Today we're going to be in uh, verse 2. I mean, chapter 2 last week, Kate did a great job talking about basically being made alive in Christ. And what it looks like. What's the right? What's the privilege? What's the call of being made alive in Christ? And Paul this week is boring down a little deeper. As I made the schedule and I got this one, I'm like, ah, oh, man, I would have rather talked about those first 10 verses and not these next 12. Because these are a little harder. They're a little less rah-rah. They're a little bit more in your face. Like, okay, here's what we got to do to be a team. So I'm going to jump in. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. Paul, the, the, the gospel has gone out. Most of the, Jew, most of the Jewish believers are no longer in Israel because a guy named Saul started this persecution wave. Well, now this guy Paul, who was Saul, who saw the light, literally, is now um, one of those people who's escaped the persecution he started. He became, he was, started off as an agent of disunity. Now he's an agent of unity, but he got kicked out of the club. 
that used to be outsiders. You were called the uncircumcised heathens. Uncircumcised literally just means what it means. Jews, the way they could tell they were Jews is kind of a crass thing. Like back in the day, you might walk into like a Jewish man camp or a Jewish camp, and they would literally, if you said you were a Jew, they would do a little test. A little test would just be a little reach under the robe, a little like, hey man, how's your father? Like, how's your day going? We're gonna check. And if you were circumcised, then you were part of the club. The, the, that physical mark was a demarcation of inclusion of God's people. You might say, that's really weird. Why do you share that? Because that's like, they were serious about this. This is really serious. So now that the gospel's gone from the Jews, the Jews always believed the gospel was for them and about them. They believed it was by them, for them, through them. And it stopped there. Paul is now in this Gentile. Gentile was just anyone not a Jew. Okay, so anyone that wasn't a Jew was a Gentile. And Paul said, like, listen, this is not about your physical marking any longer. What we're talking about here is you uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies, not their hearts. The, the Jews hated the Gentiles. And a lot of it was for very good reason. You might be someone here that hates a certain people group, and it might be for really good reason. You may be um, a person who's from another race, and you grew up around um, maybe a group that was more uh, numerous than yours, and you were picked on a lot. People said a lot of things to you. They maybe made your life hard. Maybe if you're a woman, you've been very stepped on by men. Or maybe um, you're a person who grew up with like another religion, and you were kind of cast out or left out or made fun of or really had to scrap for everything that you had. Maybe you grew up impoverished. Maybe you grew up in a wealthier area and you were the person that didn't have money and you just always felt like the one on the outside. Paul's writing this to these people who up until this point of time literally were more numerous but were outsiders. The Gentiles had not yet uh, received the fullness of God's grace. They had not yet uh, received an, a, a full invitation to his table. And now Paul is sharing the gospel with these people and his Jewish contemporary Christians are giving him hell for it. It's become very hard to do what Paul's doing because he was the guy persecuting the Christians. Now he's persecuted by the Christians, by the Jews, and he's trying to say, come together. He's trying to say, here's what unity looks like. And he was trying to say, it wasn't, some nationalistic pride that the Jews were steeped in. Because the Jews had this nationalistic pride because they were this little crown jewel like the size of New Jersey. The whole earth, they were where it was, but everyone kept attacking them because God had amazingly blessed them. He endowed them with so much fertility, with so much wealth, with so much of fruitfulness in their businesses, their families, their businesses, everything. So Every empire that grew went straight after them to basically loot them. So because they thought they were God's chosen people who bore this special mark, they promoted themselves because of that, like he likes us more than you. And then when these people come and keep trying to take their stuff that God gave them, it made them hate them. So the Jews hated the Gentiles for very selfish, soulish reasons, and then also for probably pretty good reasons, just in the spectrum of being a human being, right? 
if people keep coming after you, you're not going to like them. But Paul said that um, basically, um, he says that this circumcision only affected their bodies, not their hearts. As we're talking about coming together, about doing life together, what's the condition of your heart towards the Lord? What's the condition of your heart towards other people? Because in 1 John, we see this great um, five chapters that basically say, if your heart is stinky towards people, if your heart is um, against people, if your heart is racist, if it's uh, 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 misogynistic, if it's feminist, if it's racist, if it's all these things, if it's ageist, if it's maybe um, socioeconomic, he's like, if you have anything against other people, you're gonna have a very hard time um, proving to God, or not saying to really prove, verifying that you that God has touched your heart. Who's a group, as you're thinking about today, who is the group of people or a person that you have the hardest time wishing good things upon? Are you racist? Are there any people that naturally scare you or offend you or put you off? Or is there maybe a family member? Is there a church? Is there a brand of Christianity? Is there a, a, <clears throat> a political party? Just if you find out someone's part of that, you just don't like them. You should automatically think that they're off. Is there a person? Is there a place? Is there a business? When you hear their name, you just cringe. Paul's talking about here about there's a remedy for that and there has to be a remedy because without it, the kingdom of God's gonna be very hard for us and for other people to receive it from us. Anyone ever been to Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh's a really cool city except for their football team. Um, I, I hate them, just kidding. Um, um, but I love them, but I hate them, but I love them. Um, I'm talking to myself here. Um, but like Pittsburgh's a really cool city. Pittsburgh's kind of got these three rivers. There's the Mongahela, there's the Allegheny, and they form this super river called the Ohio, named after a state that's better, um, that, uh, that flows down past Cincinnati. Cincinnati's kind of the crown jewel of that river. Pittsburgh has the two little rivers that feed the epicenter called Cincinnati. Um, but there's this beautiful downtown where these rivers come together and they form the Ohio River. And it's kind of, it's called a confluence. It's called a confluence. And what Paul's talking about, what we're gonna just really um, dive deep into today is the confluence that God wants to see in his body, kind of like this, how smaller things coming together are essential to make a bigger, more beautiful thing. Like Iron Man's awesome by himself. Batman's awesome by himself. But, but to make the Justice League or else like the Avengers, you need more than one stream. And the body of Christ is no different. To have a meta body of Christ that is all amped up and does the stuff Jesus can do, we've got to have a bunch of converging things and people and ideas and opportunities come together to form the one super stream God means for all of us to live in, to flow in, and to play in. So we're gonna keep reading in Ephesians. He says, in those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship 
among God's people. You did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and were without hope. Hope has to be part of this. Hope has to be part of this, even when it's feeling like we're up against an army, even when it feels like we're up against so much, when it feels like there's no hope, when it feels like there's no, like there's no unity, like there's no love. There's got to be somewhere in this embedded this hope that Jesus said it. I believe it. That settles it as the old bumper sticker. Like, we've got to believe in hope that God can do more than if we just keep hanging on to our old affinities or our old ways of living. Like a lot of us are not getting anywhere just because simply we won't trust. Trust and hope are married to each other. Maybe you're still bitter at someone who left you or hurt you or left you out. There is a glorious future if you will trust no matter what it costs you and you'll just try to forgive. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing, but you will never have reconciliation apart from forgiveness. And some of us, if we can't learn to forgive ourselves or to forgive others, we're never gonna get in that confluence, that stream. We might be this little creek, this little one-off, but eventually that thing dries up. Is there something in your life where you're lacking hope? Is there something, some relational um, baggage that it's causing you to be separate from some other people that you're missing out on, um, that you were once far away, but now you have been brought near? Today, God would say, I want to bring you near. But he says, you have been, you've been united with Christ Jesus. You were once far away. You've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. See, the amazing thing about the, the blood of Jesus is the blood of Jesus unifies us to God. It gives us that opportunity that we didn't have before. There was an expanse between us and God. There was this chasm that existed that no one could cross because no one could keep the law. No one could keep the law. And Jesus said, basically, like, Father, I'm going to take the test for them that no one can pass because, like, we got to make a way. That Jesus took the test, none of us could pass, and if we get his grade, we get to be part of the family. No matter if we're Jew or Gentile, no matter if we're racist, or rather if we're like an inclusion person, no matter whether you're straight, no matter whether you're gay, no matter whether you're a drunk, or no matter whether you're sober, all are given the same opportunity to come to Jesus by what he did. Now, it doesn't mean he intends to leave anyone where they are, but it's an invitation-only gospel and everyone's invited. That's why we have to tell. That's why we gotta be fluent in the gospel and how we tell it and how we show it. But the gospel is for everyone. And Paul's saying this isn't just for the Jews. This is for the Gentiles too. This is for those uncircumcised heathens that you have every right to hate in the natural, but because of what Christ did for all of you, for all of us, everyone has a chance. And I will tell you, if there's someone you're racist towards or you're prejudiced towards or you're hateful towards, you're not believing part of the gospel. 
You're not believing the gospel can fill that thing, heal that thing, change that thing in you, and you're not believing that the gospel can fill that thing, change that thing, and heal that thing in them. We don't, that's why we want to be a culture not where people, we're not a church membership place. We're a, we're a place where we realize people belong before they become. That people start to get drawn in by God's goodness, by his love, by people that care for them. Like Sherry's like, I, my life fell apart, but then I, and I was part of it, and then I was kind of leaning out, but then I was loved back into the fold. And God showed me that he can make sense of these things. Like, people we want to be a place that welcomes people from every, every nation, tribe, tongue, background. As the Holy Spirit does what only he can do, he starts bringing people in and breaking stuff off and setting people free. And Jesus basically says, like, hey, you go fish for them, and then let's clean them together. But just go fishing. Throw the nets out and just see what you catch. Don't decide, oh, we're going to throw this one back. She said, I just told you to go fishing and watch what I do with it. He didn't ever need something grand. He just wanted our trust. And if we trust him, like what if, the, what if Jesus with that kid with the Lunchables and the two fish and the five loaves, Jesus said, just he didn't ask how big the fish were. He didn't ask how fresh the bread was. He said, perfect. He multiplied it. And I think a lot of us are stuck in division when Jesus wants to us to be stuck in multiplication. And this come together is the only way we can really do life together. See, the temple, even the temple by its definition, the temple was set up. Show that picture of the temple, please. The temple had this outer court. The Gentiles, the Romans, could go into that outer court and do commerce, do business, do government. They could be there. But that inner court, forget about it. Actually, Paul, we see in, um, in the book of Acts that... Um, Paul was possibly facing a lynching for bringing a dude named Trophimus, who was from Ephesus, of all people, that, um, that he was um, being like accused uh, back in Jerusalem of bringing a Gentile into the temple. And Paul's like, I didn't do that. This is a trumped-up charge. This is not like a believable thing. This didn't happen. But they really wanted to get Paul so bad, they saw him with Trophimus in the outer courts, he brought him into the inner courts. If you came in there, if you came into the Jewish temple in the inner courts, it was a crime guilty of death. Flavius Josephus, um, he was a, a Roman historian, and he wrote uh, the Jewish wars, wrote uh, like the antiquities of the Jews, wrote these great books, and he talked about, can we see the Flavius Josephus quote on there? Do we got that? Or did I give you that? Yay, nay, maybe. Okay, well, Flavius Josephus basically said, there was notice as an Aramaic, Greek, Latin for all outsiders to remain as they are, to come no closer. And there have been two Greek notices found at various archaeological sites, 1871 and 1935, that said this. No foreigner may enter within the barrier of the enclosure founded at the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his own death. The Jews were so serious about the exclusion of the Gentiles, they would kill them if they came any closer. Do some of us put off that sign that if you come any closer, I'll talk the talk of unity amongst the um, ethnic backgrounds or skin color or men and women or socioeconomic lines, but if you come any closer, any closer, 
really, um, you're gonna receive a death notice from me. Either I'll break relationship with you, I'll talk about you, I'll make you pay for it. Is there anyone anywhere in your life that um, you talk a bigger game than you play? And Paul's telling this church in Ephesus, like, not on my watch. That's why back during COVID, when all that stuff was happening, came in here and said, listen, I don't care if you got a shot or you didn't get a shot. I don't care if you want to social distance or don't. I don't care if you want to share a Coke or you want to sit with seven rows in between you and people. I don't care. You choose. But we're not going to make these items of fellowship. The Bible doesn't make them items of fellowship. We're not going to either. We're going to let people make their decisions, but we're not going to sit around. We're not going to judge each other. We're not going to bash each other. This is never going to be a litmus test what we put in our body or don't. It's never going to be a litmus test what team you like or where you sit or what you make or what you like. Those things are not going to be litmus tests because the goal is unity and the enemy is so crafty, he will use anything to divide us. And our nation is more divided than ever. And Christians that got on the bandwagon, well, I'm for the shot, or I'm not for the shot, or I'm for this candidate, or I'm for that one, or I'm for inclusion, or I'm for, you know, every life matters, or I'm for BLM. It's like, listen, like, are you for Jesus? And if you are, you will be for people. You'll be for uh, making common ground and not litmus tests for division that don't exist in the Bible. We're not going to make a matter of uh, like morality or kingdom the things that aren't. And there was great arguments on both sides. I just don't care. I don't care. Since there's not a thou shall not, I just don't care. Leave it to people's conscience. And that's what Paul is kind of saying. There was so many things to buy, and Paul said, listen, I don't care. We're not making these things a matter of fellowship any longer. It's about Jesus. Are you being drawn to him? Do you love him? Are you open to what he has? That's our baseline. Not what you look like, what you smell like, how you voted, not where you've been, what you've done. We're gonna make this about Jesus. And even now as I'm saying that, there might be some people who are really incendiary. Well, you don't know, like, listen, I... I'm pretty aware of everything that's going on, just like all of you are. But I can just choose to not have a strong opinion because to have a strong opinion is not going to promote unity. Let people make their own choices. If you want to choose this, choose that. But what we're not going to do is we're not going to um, leave people out because they disagree with us on things that aren't fundamental to the faith. And some of that stuff on both sides, both sides are trying to save their lives. Well, you're not going to torch my freedom. You're not going to come against me. You're not going to tell me what to do. And Jesus says, be careful. Trying to save your life, you often lose it. Or the other side, well, you're not going to, if you're going to be willy-nilly about this and you're going to get sick and you're going to die, then I don't want anything to do with you. You're trying to save your life again on the other side. Jesus says, you're going to lose it. These things are not... That's what Paul's talking about here is we're not gonna be divisive people. We're not gonna live in fear. We're not gonna live in judgment. Everyone gets to play in God's economy and everyone's welcome. And not everyone has to come all put together and perfect. We're gonna make issues of fellowship things that revolve around the gospel, not around the culture or not around our experiences. 
are not around our worldview. We want to look at the book with intent, keen, open, willing eyes to receive what the king has to say. Verse 14, for Christ himself is our peace. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people, his own body on the cross. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Have you let Jesus break down walls of hostility in your life? Have you let him? Is there anyone, any group, any organization that you are just like, ah, yeah, but not there. Gospel couldn't come there. Gospel wouldn't go there. Jesus came to break down walls of hostility. Jesus came so we could come together, do life together with God and each other. Jesus came so that the, those who were close and those who were far off could be part of his amazing family plan. There's twofold peace here. We can now be at peace because God and Jesus is our peace. See, that peace that God wants, like a lot of people say, hey, peace, peace, love, but they haven't made peace inside. They haven't met Jesus. So they're promoting a false peace. Like even during the hippie movement, there was peace, peace, peace. But if you were still part of the institution, if you were still the man, if you were going to Vietnam, like really it wasn't peace to you. It was like peace out. I'm done with you. So they, they, were, answer, they were asking the right questions but giving the wrong answers. The only peace that could really be found was in Jesus. When we get the peace from him that no one owes me anything, do you know the sooner we can reconcile and deal with the truth, no one owes me anything, the quicker you can be at peace with God and others. No one owes you a darn thing because if Jesus paid it all, how does anyone owe you anything? If Jesus really paid all of your debts, paid every debt that was against you, he said, Father, forgive them all. He didn't just say, Father, forgive Jill or Jerry or Lynn. He said, Father, forgive them, everyone. They don't know what they do. If Jesus really paid it all, why, why do we exclude certain people? What are we demanding of them? What are we expecting of people? Why can't we let people off the hook? A lot, of, a lot of marriages, a lot of families die because someone, someone has been trying to get someone to grow, change, and heal. And then finally, the person tries to grow, change, and heal, but the person can't let them off the hook. A lot of families, a lot of marriages, a lot of relationships die because people can't be lifted out from that place where the thumb's on them. Like, are we keeping people under a thumb where they can't grow or change or be different? We keep treating them like that little brother or sister. Like what, what's, God's inviting us into so much, but a lot of times if we won't allow him to unify us, to touch us, to um, be our debt payer. Because if Jesus paid it all, no one owes me anything. So someone could slap me on the face, punch me, kick me, make me go two miles or three, but I could receive it in Christ because Jesus paid it all. This person doesn't owe me anything. I could love my enemies because I know I was once God's enemy. Do you know you were once God's enemy? Do you know that if you don't know Jesus, like you are opposing him without even knowing it? I know there was times in my life where I'm like, God, I'm opposing you. And I didn't even know it. 
Because only Jesus can be our peace. And you might be so far off from God that you're like, I don't know, I don't know what to do. I don't like some of these things you're saying, but like, if we let Jesus be our peace, he'll then fill in the rest of the blanks. Jesus wants to pay that bill for us. Jesus wants to make those gaps bridged. Jesus wants to do what no one else could do, for Christ himself is our peace. And Paul said, unless you Jews and Gentiles get this, you'll never get this. And really, you know, we have so many asylum seekers amongst us. There's so many people among us. I mean, I know the immigration issue is a huge issue. And you've heard me talk about, but listen, I'm, I'm not saying whether it's a good idea to have a wall or not, but the fact is, people that are here, what's our strategy to love them? Jesus was an immigrant. Do you know Jesus fled to Egypt without a, an approved national visa? Joseph got up in the middle of the night and they went to Egypt when Herod was trying to kill everyone. You know, Jesus was a refugee. In the middle of the night, they did that. I don't know how it went for them, but Jesus was a refugee. I love what Jesus said to, to, to Saul before he became Paul. Saul meant one of the king or a great king. Paul, the name that he took for himself, means small one. When, Paul, when Saul was still a great one, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Do you know some of us who are persecuting the people out there, maybe we're not mistreating them or whatever, maybe we don't want to tip them or we don't go to their restaurants or their place of business or we don't want to hire them or whatever. Do you know, you might find yourself against Jesus and he says, like, so-and-so, so-and-so, why are you persecuting me? Because he says in Matthew 25, what are we done for the least of these we've done unto him? So I'm not saying whether we should have a wall or not, but when we have people who live next to to us, whether we like them or not, that's our neighbor's. And Jesus is for them being at peace with him. So by extension, he's for you and me being peacemakers to them. The most peaceful thing we can ever do is live and share the gospel. Are you a peacemaker? Because Jesus, by his peace, brought us peace. Wherever Jesus goes, he brings peace. He's the prince of peace. He's the one from Jerusalem, out of peace. That city's name, part of it means out of peace. Salem, Salam means, like like in Arabic, Salama. Salam is the Hebrew word for Salama, peace to you. Peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. Do we let Jesus bring us peace, and then do we let his peace move through us. I grew up not liking Muslims. I was terrified of them. I was Jewish. I saw in the news, you know, Gaddafi and the Ayatollah, like these people just wanted to kill me and my people. So I was very afraid and I would listen to my grandparents talking about how much they hated the Muslims and they would show all the stuff on the news of the, the Muslims trying to sack Israel, Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, Golan Heights, all the rockets, all the terror from Palestine. And God woke my heart up to like, Ryan, Ryan, why are you persecuting me? I'm thinking, I'm not persecuting. I've never been mean to a Muslim. He's like, but yeah, but you never have tried to love them either. And I've really felt in the last several years like God's calling me to reach Muslim people. 
That just sounds like his kingdom, doesn't it? Some afraid, wimpy Jewish guy going to um, reach Muslims to be a bridge. And this is like the whole thing of why like this stuff matters. This stuff matters. And, and the thing is, in, um, I was rubbed wrong by these people and I was so afraid of them and I went to Turkey and I just saw as, like, as Jesus loved people through me and through the group I was with and I just saw people that weren't all walking around with like machine guns ready to kill every American or Jewish person they know. I was just like, Lord, I've been so blind and so myopic. And I would have missed out on one of the greatest blessings and callings of my life if I wasn't willing to forgive people for past sins or for differences or maybe where they were born. Jesus wants to bring people together and that's what Paul is exhorting the Ephesian church to. He says he did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulation. He made peace between the Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And ergo, our hostility towards each other was put to death. Therefore, ergo, whatever you want to say, our hostility, when Jesus did this, we could let our hostility die because he paid the debt. So we're going to pray today in a minute, and the worship team can come up. Who... Who do you need that hostility in you to die towards? Just over. Like, God, I'm going to trust you to write the check. Maybe it's someone who offended you, who hurt you, who touched you, who abused you, who robbed you, who raped you, who pillaged from you, who stole your family's business, who whatever, mistreated you, or maybe just a different color. You grew up in a racist household or a bigoted place, and you just, I don't know why I hate these people. I just do. Where do you need God to touch that today? Because you and I will not be fluent to or really capable to share the peace of the gospel if we won't let that peace of the gospel touch our hearts. Where do you need to trust and let go today? Where today do you need forgiveness maybe for what you've held on to? Because Jesus isn't killing anyone to come to the inner courts. Jesus isn't killing anyone to come to that holy of holy place. Before, it was just a priest. The Jew of Jews were the only ones allowed there. When Jesus died, do you know that place was literally split in half? There was a veil, the outer courts ripped in half, the inner courts ripped in half, the veil torn in two because God wanted to give access to his life to everyone who would receive it. But everyone was persecuting him because of what they did wrong by trying to preserve their lives, by trying to keep others out, by trying to step over other people to make their own lives better or safer. Where is Jesus calling you today to be a reconciler, a forgiver, a welcomer? Where does he want to shake racism off of you? Where does he want to shake the hatred of men off of you or the hatred of women or the hatred of people of different color or religion or backgrounds? Maybe you hate addicts because you have a kid or a brother or sister, maybe used to be one. Like, where do you just need to forgive someone? For us to ever be the kind of church that reaches thousands and millions of people, we gotta let that peace of Christ come into us first so we can then dispense that peace to others.
He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done. So you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Do you know every person alive, every person alive, God wants to break through their life with his love, with his peace, with his forgiveness, with his healing. Irrespective of how they vote or what they believe or what they've done, what they look like, how they act, Jesus wants to bring everyone close to him. He says, together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The cornerstone is Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a temple for the holy God. You're God's temple. God's temple? Does his glory fill you and come out of you? See, the Jews weren't just meant to hold on to this thing, like, I'm God's kid, I'm blessed, you're screwed. Does that blessing of God flow out of you to open up the access of worship to everyone? Through him, you Gentiles are being made we are carefully joined together in him, the holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Prayer teams, if you'll come up, we're gonna pray. I'm gonna ask you to not bust out of here. Just sit for a minute and marinate. Who do you need to forgive today? Who have you had a hard time sharing the gospel with? Who have you had a hard time forgiving? Who have you had a hard time receiving or entertaining that God would maybe want you to go to them? Paul was killing the Christians because they were opening up a new way of Judaism. God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cause you to go to the Gentiles, Pharisee of Pharisees, teacher of the law, governor of the Jews. I'm going to call you. Where's your thing today? Maybe you've been wearing your Confederate flag your whole life. Take it down. God doesn't like Confederate flags. God doesn't like Nazi flags. God doesn't like exclusivity. And I'm not saying that, oh, we're going to let anything go, but everyone's welcome. But there's certain things, like things that are racist, things that are sexist, things that are dividing, God is not for them. We're not gonna wave that flag, we wanna wave Jesus. What flag are you waving in your life? Are you saying, come on in, or are you giving that to some people groups? There's a lot today. But we're gonna be a church that's anchored in the word so we can walk in the spirit. We're gonna take this book seriously down to the last letter. Because this is Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the word made flesh. In the beginning was the word. This is the word of God. And it's for all people for all time. So Jesus, would you just come today? Would you, would you get through our, our, our dividing things so we can come together? Would you get through our divisive attitudes, through our own brokenness, our own fears? Lord, I hated the people that hurt me. I hated the people that were against my people. I hated so many people, Lord. And I was doing so much injustice to myself and my brothers and sisters in the world. When you wanted me to be a unifier, not a divider, I was so afraid, Lord, of so many people and things. I was trying to save my life and I was losing it and I was ensuring other people couldn't find theirs either. Would you just come into our midst today, Holy Spirit? Would you work through us? us, would you revive us, would you convict us, would you make us alive as only you can do.
Jesus' mighty, powerful, precious name we pray.